Lottie, say pop psychology. Pop psychology. Say pop psychology. Pop psychology. Good job. Oh yeah, that's a good room tone. Yeah. I guess I'll take out my these headphones because I just want to hear your beautiful <laughs> voice. Oh yeah. Just on the reg. Just analog. Scott. <clears throat> oh, I should swallow my gum. Gold. Um, Scott, explain our situation right now. <laughs> we are uh, in a basement and we're isolating because we're scared of the coronavirus. Yep. And there's a parrot on my shoulder. <clears throat> um, May or uh, uh, March twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Um, parrots on shoulders, socially distancing. You're living here with uh, the family compound? Oh, yes. So what the heck happened? We recorded a bunch of episodes and released them, and then we went silent for a while. Did you catch the Rona? No, we just got busy. <laughs> oh, and we recorded uh, an episode, and turns out the audio was bad. Whose fault was that? Yours. <laughs> Yeah, right. Who else is it? Yeah, you're probably right. Um, it was probably mine. So we're re-recording that episode that we did. Who knows what the world will be like when this episode enters their ear holes? Well, I think we're going to try and turn it around pretty fast. Yeah. Because well, it'd be still. weird. Oh, you're um, touching your cord. You're touching the cord with your laptop. Oh, whoops. And that's going to make a horrible sound. Oh, no. So apologize to the audience. I am very sorry. All right, I forgive you. Um, we're gonna try and do a quick turnaround. Because, well, even um, if it comes out on Monday, who knows what the yeah, world will be like? Yeah, that's a good point. But it, it'd be just because it'd be weird if we released it in a month and then it was like there's no humans left. <laughs> it'd be so embarrassing. Oh, us talking like there's humans. Yeah, and then everyone looks around like there's no humans left. Talking about human psychology, and they're like, uh, "Hello, uh, humans! I don't uh, humans. That's so last birds week. rule the earth now." Yeah. Yeah, can birds get coronavirus? Parrot psychology. Can birds even get it? We know pangolins can get it. Yeah. No, it's because they, they got can. it. They gave it to us. Let me see. Let me think about it. No, nah, I don't think they can. Huh. How did you come to that conclusion? I just feel like they don't. Let me, let's move your cord so it's not touching your leg either. Once again, man, Scott's just. Scott's just wrecking everyone's ear holes, so I apologize for him. So, uh, what's the uh, what's the plan, Stan? So, first of all, this is Pop Psychology. It's a podcast about psychology and pop culture. We watch a bunch of pop culture, read a bunch of psychology, and then we mix them together for you. Yeah, and we. Talk it, talk so good to you about it. Or rather, perhaps we put on our psychological lenses Whoa. and view pop culture through. I that don't even lens. have to put on a lens. Yeah, you're so you're so in it. Yeah, already. My my eyeballs are psychological. You at ooze this point. psychology. Yeah, that, yeah, it's true. I do ooze it. It's kind of mm-hmm. gross. 
Everything you do is psychologically motivated, I've noticed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. So we're doing a special type of episode uh, today. This is called Grab Bag One, because mm-hmm. maybe we'll do other ones. Yeah. That's why I put the one at the end. Yeah, yeah. You following that? Good. They should have thought about that when World War One happened. Yeah, just call it World War. They just called it the Great... No, they called it the Great War or something. Uh, they should have had the forethought to be like World War One. No, I'm saying they called it World War One, and that was ominous. Uh huh. So then they're like, "Well, shoot, there was a number one, you know." Oh yeah. It'd be weird if we just had World War One, and that's the only World War, you know. And then they had the sequel. Yeah. Then they had the sequel. Yeah. Um. Okay. Grab bag one. What's a grab bag <laughs> episode, Scott? We're just doing little ones. It's just tinies. Little um, stuff that is too small for a whole episode, or just maybe an interesting connection that we you made between something you saw or read, and you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because we already did this. Yes, when uh, it's like a Groundhog's Day thing. Yeah, but movie. L- but last time we didn't have Oliver with us. Oh yeah, giving Explain to Oliver inquisitive sounds. Yeah, yeah. You know, like curious, like huh. Yeah. Or like he's chewing. What is that sound? It's like he's thinking about it. Huh. Yeah. Huh. You know. Like I, like, I never thought of that before. Yeah. Yeah. This is, Oliver is my eclectus parrot. He's a male. The males are green. The females are red. The females are red? Yeah. You haven't seen? They're the most sexually dimorphic uh, bird. I'll show you later. It's pretty crazy. Whoa. That sounds, that sounds hot. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's weird that the female usually the males are kind of are kind of really flamboyant. The females are kind of drab. Yeah, not so with the eclectus. Whoa, nice. Yeah, yeah, cool. And you don't have to feel bad about owning an eclectus because they're not even close to endangered. They're from Papua New Guinea, where they in some areas are considered nuisances. Nuisai? Yeah, that's plural for nuisances. Yeah. Okay, who's going first? Okay, I'm going to say how many things I have. <clears throat> Two things. Three. Oh, really? Yeah. You have the same three things you did last time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I feel good that we lost all of our audio from last time. Me too, because we were dummies. Well, I just, I felt kind of rambly, and also I felt sleepy. Oh, yeah. How are you feeling now? I feel pretty good. I'm going to set a timer, though, just so that we can kind of keep track of what we're doing. Um, And I I might flash it to you in a passive-aggressive way if we're going too long. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll try and make a sound. Or you could I... just say, Scott, you're boring everyone. No, that, no. I would never say that. Okay, thanks. That's a harsh way of saying that. Yeah. Okay. I'm just kidding. I would never, nothing I say is boring. Um, you start. Okay. Ross Geller. Ever heard of him? Heard and seen. He's from the classic 90s sitcom Friends. So what made you think about Friends all of a sudden out of nowhere? Do you think about Friends a lot? Well, no. I mean, I've probably seen I've seen most of Friends, uh, and <clears throat> I I heard someone. So this comes from the internet sphere, uh, where people have kind you have of an internet sphere pointed out. Yeah, the internet is a sphere, and uh, in that sphere, people have pointed out that uh, Ross Geller who I've always loved that character, and I've loved David Schwimmer's, uh, like, performance. I think it's... He, As did we all. Yeah, like, he's my favorite. I think that's my favorite performance in Friends. Mm-hmm. Just because he's so 
dorky and whiny insecure. and insecure. And uh, so, you know, we all love him, but some people in that sphere of the internet have pointed out, hey, actually, he was he was kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you kind of take uh, take out the laugh track mm-hmm. and kind of ignore what the j- comedy genre which would uh, have you think about him, right? Um, then actually, he's he, kind of a monster. He's kind of someone you wouldn't <laughs> want. To to date, He's if you're a woman, or disturbed. you wouldn't want your sister to date. Yeah, sure. Yeah, or you wouldn't want to date if you're a gay man. Yeah, sure. If he was gay, right? Um, and uh, so here's some some things that are questionable when you take out the laugh track. Uh, he made Rachel fire fire their male nanny because he was jealous, even though nothing was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Rachel made friends with the guy at work, Ross came in to work and spied on her without her knowledge. Yep. <clears throat> and he sent her a, a big embarrassing gift basket as a way of saying, hands off my woman. Right. You know, sending that message. Um, he Which also smells a little crazy. <clears throat> yeah. If you didn't have a laugh track going on. Yeah. He, he also, um made Rachel choose between him and her career. Mm-hmm. She really wanted to go to Europe. And he said, Rachel, but what about us? Repeatedly until she gave in and uh, decided to stay. Now, like, that you could interpret, like, romantically. Yeah. You know? But you could also interpret that creepily. Yes. Or manipulatively. Yes. You know? Um. Oh, I know. So, and... And there's a lot of just little things, too, throughout the show um, where he just kind of doesn't think about other people's feelings. Mm -hmm. He just kind of wants them to be there for him. And especially with women, it's almost like a uh, an entitlement type of a Mm. type of a feel. Do you have a diagnosis? Yes. Insecure attachment. What the? So that's not a DSM diagnosis, but. Uh, I yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about attachment theory. There were some people. So when you see Ross Geller, yeah, you you he 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 stinks of insecure attachment. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, I'll explain what insecure attachment is. So there are some psychologists who are smart: John Bowlby, uh, Mary Ainsworth, um, and they came up with attachment theory where they looked at um, the emotional connection between babies mm-hmm. and their primary caregiver, usually mm-hmm. their mother. Mary Ains. I'm going to try and make some parrot. Like, I really love how Oliver's responding to this. So yeah. instead of going, hmm, I'm going to go, huh. Yeah. Hello. He's like, oh, he's very interested. Yeah, he is really interested. He's a very thoughtful guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes, you. Uh, huh. That was me. <laughs> And uh, Mary Ainsworth did um, this experiment called that she called this a strange situation, which was bringing in mother-baby dyads mm. into uh, a room with toys and stuff, and they're hanging out, mom and baby time. How and could they tell that they were dyads? Did they find them near like Stonehenge or something? Um, no, I think they got volunteers. Oh, that's druids. Sorry. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, what's what's that? <laughs> a druid? Never mind. <laughs> I was just making a joke. Um, that was a dad joke. Nerd alert. Uh, Not nerdy. No Oliver laughed a little. Did you hear? <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thank you, Oliver. He's <laughs> laughing like the like the audience will laugh when they hear that one. Yeah. Uh. And uh, why so, are you taking so long to explain this? Because you keep interrupting me. <laughs> mom and baby come in, and yeah. then mom leaves, uh-huh. and then mom uh, comes back, and then they just take notes on how baby at- responds. Wasn't there a stranger that comes in and one? Version oh yeah, of this? that's why it's called a strange situation. Mom leaves. Right. Stranger comes in. Right. And engages with baby. Stranger leaves, then mom comes back and re-engages with baby. Some babies, when mom leaves, they cry. And mm. when stranger comes in, they don't like it that much. Mm-hmm. And then when mom comes back in, they're relieved and they're comforted and they're soothed. Mm-hmm. Some babies don't care. Mm. Mom goes, stranger comes, you know, uh, mom comes back. Mm-hmm. And they're not too perturbed. Mm-hmm. Uh, some babies, um, mom goes and they freak out. Uh, stranger comes in, they freak out. Mom comes back in and they freak out and then they keep freaking out. Mm. And they're hard to like soothe. Right. Uh, and some people, uh, sadly, freak out when mom's there mm. uh, and they don't seemingly don't like being with mom mm. and uh so you know they're like oh interesting babies have these different reactions then they kind of like follow follow the babies and see what those different reactions portend for their lives mm-hmm. and uh develop this theory where it's like when a baby is born uh and we were all once babies hmm. uh we form right this attachment and it's uh, like very uh very sensitive and it's very dependent on like mom and baby kind of tuning in and responding to one another right so if that connection is good then um baby feels like mom is a safe place an emotional home base and and as baby grows up that emboldens baby to go and explore farther and farther away from mom and mm. explore the world because Baby knows that they always have a, a safe place to come back to. So if something goes wrong when they're away, mm-hmm. they can come back. Right. And then um, if, you know, all goes well, um, they go farther and farther from mom until they're going to school. And um, they eventually are able to um, calm themselves down with just the thought of mom. So mm-hmm. if you know, something upsets them at school, they can they can think, well, when I get home, you know, I'll tell mom and or, or the primary caregiver and they will um, be able to soothe me. And just that thought calms them down. Mm. And then as you keep growing and growing, um, that thought becomes almost like an internalized uh, emotional home base. And it it's not really about mom as much anymore it's just kind of an internal sense of confidence mm-hmm. so you know dr spock and people used to say you know you don't want to coddle your babies can i just say how incredibly confused i was for most of my life about there being a guy named dr spock oh yeah, yeah. i was just like 
is the character from Star Trek, is Star Trek character based on a real person or is like someone writing a book like in character uh-huh. as the character from Star Trek? Anyway, sorry. Uh, you may say that. Thank you. Um, I have spoken. And uh, That's Mandalorian reference. Hashtag uh, topical pop culture reference. Oh, yeah. And hashtag. See, we, we pay attention. We're down with the cool kids. Yeah. Um, and so am I making sense so far? So far, so good. So so Dr. Spock said, you know, um, oh, don't coddle your babies when they're crying. You know, let them cry it out or whatever. And, and Worst it'll, advice in the world. It'll make them uh, in, more independent. It'll make them tough. Because they won't rely on mom. Right. But it's actually the reverse because the the babies who um, freak out and, and won't calm down, um, those babies become insecure or um they're let's see at least they don't always become insecure adults but that's a developmental hurdle that they have to overcome right they got to find a way to resolve that conflict and a lot of times they do become insecure adults where they don't have they don't develop that solid you know um place of confidence that that self-esteem that self-image that they can come come back to mm. and so their their self-esteem is kind of dependent on others and how they're treated and so they're right. very sensitive etc. they're looking for mothers that they can hold on to their skirts yeah and they're scared yeah what the... that's good yeah and uh and and then your uh, so your attachment style be it secure attachment anxious avoidant ambivalent uh that's not really funny, Oliver. Indifferent, yeah. Is there indifferent? Probably. Like a robot. Baby. It's not termed that, but you know. There sure. yeah. There's different you can you can picture these these different kinds of responses of babies. Um they don't always correlate to um your attachment in romantic relationships. But a lot of people lately uh Lately, attachment theory, and by lately I mean the last like three decades, have been uh, um, so looking since at I've been alive. Yeah, looking at the implications of attachment theory with adult like romantic relationships, and point out that um, when we're a, a baby, when we're a kid, our primary attachment figure is usually the mom. But then when we are an adult, we all over again become emotionally dependent on someone. And have to go through a new stage of of attachment development mm. with our new primary attachment figure, which is our Ross Geller from Friends partner. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed yeah. that one. <laughs> um, and uh, and theorists for thirty years have been talking about how this applies to Ross Geller from Friends. Yes, exactly. Even before he was written, they could tell he was coming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but there's so a, reinterpret those symptoms in terms of attachment theory. So Ross Geller um, feels like uh, my my theory is uh, if he doesn't have a woman by his side mm-hmm. telling him how great he is and being there for him emotionally and comforting him, then uh, then he. Is existentially 
ill at ease. Ill at ease. Yeah, exactly. He might be afraid that no one likes him. No one will ever love him. He'll be alone forever. Or maybe it's a, or maybe it's a more primitive fear. It's a childlike fear. Yeah. You know, like what's the child afraid of when they're not around the mother? It's not that they're going to be alone forever because they don't think in those terms. It's just this primal word kind of survival fear. Mm, and yeah. and I think a theory that makes sense of like why this they call it the attachment system it's just like the parts of our psyche that latch on to people and mm. in sometimes very irrational and very intense ways how dare you well they'll point out though that it's not it's not actually irrational because a baby you know obviously needs to keep mom close to be cared for and an adult needs to keep um uh, keep a partner close mm-hmm. because we are social animals and we we have emotional needs, but also reproductively, um, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. It's like a evolutionary, um, uh, what's the word? It's like an emotional complex that evolved to pair us off. Mm. You know. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, some but if you if you have twenty five percent of the population has an insecure or anxious attachment um, style in their romantic relationships, it doesn't mean they're bad. Oh, good. Um, it it just means you have to be aware and you have to check yourself and make sure that you take responsibility for those feelings and not manipulate other people. Boom. Boom. Take that, Ross Geller. Yeah. What would you... Uh, pretty fascinating, if you ask me. That is pretty fascinating. I think you did that in like half the time you did it last time. Yes. And also last time you <laughs> you hadn't looked up anything about attachment theory. I was like, so you're like, yeah, Mary. attachment and uh, there was a baby. <laughs> someone found a baby one time. No, last time I explained it brilliantly. <laughs> no, I didn't. just forgot Mary Ainsworth's name. Yeah, right. And you didn't know the name. Of, you didn't know the strange situation, etc. Okay, I have one. Do this it. is a short movie review. Oh yeah. Um, about a film that I watched. Oh. Um, before. Uh, so actually, I watched two films um, relevant to psychology and the history of psychology. I watched A Dangerous Method, mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender, Viggo Mortensen, Kira Knightley, mm-hmm. directed by. I don't know. You know. Who directed it? Um, it's Cronenberg? Uh, IMDb. We're going to edit all this out because, of course, we wouldn't show up unprepared. A dangerous method. It's a Vigo, same guy who did, um, same guy who did, uh, shoot, what's that Vigo? Oh, yeah, da- yeah, you're right, David Cronenberg. Okay, <laughs> I'm smart. I'm a film guy. Yeah. He works with Vigo a lot, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, so I watched that one. Um Let's see. And uh, it was good and it was confusing. I think it was um I, I I'm not sure I really followed like the point. Like the I guess the point is that psychoanalysis by virtue of the fact that it's trying to tap into really like repressed sexuality and aggression <laughs> is like 
potentially like a wildfire mm-hmm. that can like sweep through people's lives because it's like it's about Jung and his decision to have an affair with a patient. Mm-hmm. And yeah, apparently whether he actually had an affair with this patient is unclear. We have letters from her talking about her and Dr. Jung uh, engaging in what she called poetry, mm-hmm. euphemistically. Mm. So it's unclear exactly what that <laughs> means. It probably means that they were doing some funky business. Heavy petting. Although, yeah. <laughs> yep, goosenecking. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, it just sounds like, like an old-timey, you know. Well, word. isn't that just where you rub your necks together? Yeah. Oh, that's necking. Yeah, that's necking. Yeah. Goosenecking is where you uh, use a goose's neck oh. and hit the other person with it. Oh, which is not far off the mark of what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but he had uh, affairs with other people, so it's not like totally out of bounds that he would have had an affair with the patient. Carl. I know, Carl. Um, so let's see. So that was one film I watched. And um, I would rec- I would recommend it if you um, like Kira Knightley doing kind of an awkward uh, Russian accent. Like, it's fine, but it really did kind of feel like, I am Russian accent. You know, yeah, kind of, yeah. there was like... caricature or something. A little bit, I don't know. Um, but uh, watching uh, Vigo, being Vigo, is like always great. I love Vigo Mortensen. Um, and if you're interested in the history of psychoanalysis, that's one thing. Second movie, Mad to be Normal. Um, I told you about this last time, so you already know about it. Do you remember anything about the film that I told you about? Uh, I forgot everything. <laughs> How dare you. So, Mad to be Normal, 2017 film, directed by Robert Mullen. I don't know who that is. Um, and, uh, he, um, it's about a, a famous Scottish psychiatrist named R.D. Lang, R.D.Lang. So it's like Ronald Lang. Mm. And who was this really interesting um, kind of, um, he was coming, becoming famous kind of at the time, like anti-psychiatry was kind of taking off, which is like, you know, um, people advocating for a deinstitutionalization. Like, what are you doing to all those crazy people in those mental institutions? You can't lock them up like that, you know? Kind of the suspicion of psychiatry. Like, they're just taking just your good run-of-the-mill town crazy person who everyone loves, and they're locking him up and cutting his brain out. And, you know, like one flew right. over the cuckoo's nest, like goes tapping into all that stuff. Yeah, right? like it's a, and like it's a power dynamic Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right, right. Like an oppression thing. Sure, yeah. Um, so R.D. Lang was um, kind of, uh, was famous kind of in the context of that, although eventually he kind of rejected the anti-psychiatry label. Mm-hmm. So he is a fascinating dude. Um, and I found, a, I, I, I read one of his books. I read, um, uh, what did I read? Um, the Divided Self. Mm-hmm. A divided self? I forget. Um, but basically, Lang's thing, which is why he's such an interesting guy, and he makes a cool, there's it's cool to make a movie out of him. So for a while, so there's this pretty clear cut like distinction. Well, it's for the most part, it's pretty clear between 
what in like Freud's time they call neurotic and psychotic mm-hmm. symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So like psych psych psychosis is its own thing. Yeah. Like it's its own. It's like it's like almost like qualitatively different. Yeah, it's not from, just on the same scale, but it's, but it's just. It's more. like people are slipping into another dimension. Yeah, you totally. Know? Yeah, and. Like we talked about in, um, <clears throat> let's see. I think we it was were, Thanos. Yeah, when we were talking about Thanos. About borderline. There yeah. are, you can kind of see some things that are kind of almost pseudo delusions and stuff like that. So there are a little bit of border cases. Mm-hmm. But there's also like a pretty clear distinction between um, who's our poster child for for neurotics, Woody Allen. Uh-huh, yeah. And, um, and uh, A Beautiful Mind. You know, uh-huh. like yeah. totally like different, you know. And so for a long time, um, talk therapy is becoming a thing, you know, and uh, talk therapists don't know what to do with psychotics. Right. So Freud thought you couldn't establish like psychosis interfered with the transference relationship. So a psychotic wouldn't develop transference towards the therapist in the right way and therefore you couldn't really have the right kind of therapeutic alliance with them you couldn't have a positive transference in the same way you couldn't have a negative transference in the same way so like late freud is like all about working with transference Mm, right yeah Uh, i won't should i explain that transference meaning like the feelings of the client Towards the therapist the feelings towards of the client towards the therapist as a microcosm of their symptoms and problems, yeah. right? They have these unconscious uh, conflicts and they project those conflicts onto the therapist and treat the therapist like they're someone they're in love with or mm. someone they hate or they treat them like their domineering father, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. the ther- and Freud loves that because he's like, we can work with that, you know? Yeah. You can work with a positive transference when they're in love with you. You can That helps the therapy go along because they'll do whatever you say, you know? And if it's a negative transference... It can be helpful to have a negative transference because you can point it out and you can make them notice, isn't it weird, you know, mm-hmm. that you're treating me like your domineering father, you know? Yeah. But for Freud thought that you couldn't do the same thing with psychotics. Um, uh, uh, bl- uh, let's see, Blue Bloiler, shoot, Eugene, I don't know how to say his last name. It's German. So B L E U L E R. Bloiler. Yeah, sure. Um, He's the one that coined the term schizophrenia, once remarked that when all was said and done, his psychotic patients were strangers to him, were were more strange to him than the birds in his garden. That's what he said. Uh-huh. Like he works oh, with them yeah. all day and he's just like, they're, I have no idea what's like going on. Like they're a different species. Yeah. Yeah. And then Carl Rogers, interestingly, said that schizophrenics were utterly incapable of forming meaningful human relationships. Yeah. Kind of pessimistic, Carl. Yeah. So... um. R.D. Lang is one of these folks, following the tradition of Carl Jung, I'll add, mm-hmm. who thought you could do talk therapy with uh, schizophrenics. Yep. And if you just paid attention and tried to um, uh, put yourself in their headspace as much as possible or kind of read in, like, it was possible to kind of decode their actions and their hallucinations and even their delusions as accurate representations of what their psychic experience was, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, you don't have to buy into the reality of their symptoms that they're being persecuted by the CIA mm-hmm. to get the sense that they feel 
threatened and yeah. in danger. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was like famous for that, right? Um, and um, he advocated these rather than institutionalizing people, these little like kind of hippie therapeutic communities. Um, they would do LSD sometimes, which seems like a bad idea. Maybe it was, maybe it was mushrooms. I forget. They would do hallucinogen hallucinogens with mm. folks and and meditations. And he was a yogi for a while, and um, and it didn't go that well. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and uh, he led a but basically he led a fascinating life. Mm-hmm. And I get I think the thing that I like about Artie Lang is just the idea that you could. Um, like his idea that that even though schizophrenic individuals are like on a totally different page, mm. you can get on the same page with them to a certain extent. Yeah. Like it's possible to communicate, you know? I liked that. Yeah. And it's cool. He does it in the film in cool ways. And I'm get I mean, the film is based on real like anecdotes of like his experience. Yeah. You yeah. know? Like like he's on a tour of a sanitarium. Um and like you know, there's some patient that they've just been locking away and drugging out of her mind and all this stuff, and he's like, "All right, give me uh, twenty minutes." You know, he goes in and he makes everyone else wait outside, and he sits on the floor there and takes his shoes off, and like eventually, like gets him, you know. Anyway, it's great. Like mm-hmm. gets her, gets him, gets her to like smoke a cigarette with him, and then he's like, "Yes, you look." you feel stressed. It's, it's so stressful in here. You know, it helps with me. And he like starts like rubbing her, giving her a foot massage and all this stuff. And then like within 15 minutes, he's like, she hasn't been eating. And he goes outside and it's like, we need uh two pizzas, please. You know, he's, uh-huh. he's, he's anyway. Oh, yeah. It's I, delightful. I don't know. I want to watch that. He's like the schizophrenic, uh, person whisperer. Yeah. The schizophrenic whisperer. Yeah. What, what's say the title one more time. Mad to be normal. And and this is not a documentary, right? Not a documentary. Um, let's see. So, uh, uh, R.D. Lang is played by David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss, Moss is in it. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. This came out. Michael Gambon, Gambon, Gabriel Byrne. There's a lot of lot of good lot of good folks. Um, I'm gonna watch that. And uh, so later in when he was like in his most anti psychiatry like phase, he started saying stuff like. Um, Who's more crazy? This, uh, like, what's more crazy? This, this person who has this delusion, you know, that, that, uh, you know, they're being persecuted by the government or whatever, or like us building up like arsenals of death weapons that will destroy the entire world. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. these are crazy times, man. You yeah. know, like, is this really that crazy? Did, did he say, um, what is it like? If you're normal and in a crazy culture, something yes, something yeah, yeah, clever about that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he said. Oh man, how clever would you say it was? Very clever. <sighs> so that's my, that's my, that's Have my. Ever heard of that um, lady, that psych- psychologist who, she's like super into schizophrenics, and she would like. <laughs> I mean, like, like she's a fan. No, she really she schizophrenic. She really and... wanted to help them like a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, she would do stuff like she would just live with them mm. and kind of enter their world. 
<laughs> and uh, the thing that I this th- segment th- of the show is called stuff we half remember. Yeah, <laughs> we should we should research it. I bet there's a movie, she, but she's super cool. I what book did I read this in? I don't know, but she's she's. Think kind you of, think of Jane Goodall? No, and they weren't schizophrenic. They were chimpanzees. She's known for um, sometimes her. Um, yes, I've. I'm one you told you about this. Her patients would Frida from Reichman. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, would offer her their feces as a gift. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she would accept it graciously. Graciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like her. Yeah. I like the idea of her that I heard about. <laughs> so if I hand you my feces, you, you're going to take it? I would be honored. <laughs> okay, what's your next one? Um, you know, I was, I was raised on sitcoms, so my next one is another sitcom person. One of my favorite characters of all time, Mr. Michael Scott. What the... From the office. Yep. So people on the internet be like, oh, he's a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he oftentimes only thinks of himself. Mm-hmm. And he has an inflated view of himself. Right. But I beg to differ. I think the better diagnosis that fits him almost is histrionic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, in order for something to be a disorder, it has to negatively, it has to like make it hard for them to function, right? which it doesn't for Michael Scott. So he wouldn't actually qualify for the disorder, but you could definitely say he has histrionic personality. Histrionic basically he means... Has histrionic tendencies. Ten- tendencies. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Has, uh, me- histrionic means dramatic, basically. Yeah. Um. And let me read some of the criteria for this. And and, uh, I think you can see that this applies to Michael Scott. It's uh, the definition is a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention seeking beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following is uncomfortable in situations in which he or she is not the center of attention. That is like, yep. Check, check, check. <laughs> That's exactly. Like, for example... 10 out of 10. Um, Phyllis's <laughs> wedding. Yeah. Where when he wasn't allowed to push her father down the aisle because he stood up and dramatically walked down, uh-huh. he, like, goes up to the front and, like, says, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, you know. And, and then he, like, tries to hijack the toasts. Yeah. And then he says, you owe this to me because he was, like, cut out of the wedding. So he's he definitely wants to it be makes me laugh. Of attention. Are you hearing? I hope you guys are hearing my laughter. It makes me laugh just even thinking about it. Let's have a good laugh and see if Oliver will join in. One, two, three. <laughs> uh, my laugh felt kind of sad. Yeah, he could tell it wasn't genuine. Oh, oh there, you, there you go. Um, two, interaction with others is often characterized by inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior. Yes. Well, not all, not everyone. Not all the time, but often. I mean, he sexually harasses Pam. Right. You know, and, uh, but it's not, it's not pathological, let's say. <laughs> it's fine. It is, it, it oh, is wow. definitely inappropriate. I can't believe you said that. Well, it definitely does not, uh, sound, it, it doesn't make you feel good in our more enlightened time. Yep. 
you know. Yep. Three, displays rapidly shifting and shallow expression of emotions. Yep. Need I say more? Say no more, need not say. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, he's uh, he's very childlike. I'll get to that later. Ha- four, five, has a style of speech that is excessively impressionistic and mm. lacking in detail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know about that one. No, I think it's, yeah, it's good. Okay. Um, six, shows self-dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he has to do the dundies every year. Yep. Uh, seven, is suggestible, i.e. easily influenced by others or circumstances. Oh, yeah. I'm just laughing up a a ton inside. A barrel. Thinking about all that. Thinking about him. Uh, and eight considers relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. So this would be like That's an like episode of The Office where he goes into a therapist, and then whenever they say one of these symptoms, it would cut away. Yeah. To like, you know, you, this would be a good format for doing a clip show. Yeah, totally. Like with with that last one, I'm thinking when Kathy Bates came on and she's the new boss, mm. and she says. Well, you're welcome to down to Florida anytime. Right, you, right. You you have a place to stay, and he's like, oh, "We're best friends," you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I Kathy Bates in in the office. She's just a genius. She's so good as yeah. as the new CEO. Oh yeah. Um, so that's like histrionic. It, you know, pe- so that's a better fit. Obviously, people on the internet like to like to hate on Michael Scott and say, yeah. you know, um. He's narcissistic. He's histrionic. He's self-centered, etc., um, and pathologized the way he is. I think because a lot of um, his antics make you feel awkward right. and uncomfortable, right? And so people are like, you know, kind of. It makes him cringe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to make a case that Michael Scott it actually has uh, a lot going for him. Mm. One. He is happy. So is this why it's not... This is why it doesn't count as a disorder. This is why he has histrionic tendencies, but not a personality disorder. Correct. Right. You know, we make constellations of characteristics, uh, you know, and make them, um, like, in a negative way so Mm -hmm. much, like histrionic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. But, But I think there's a... With his kind of histrionic tendencies... There's a light side to it, a mm-hmm. positive side to mm-hmm. it that wouldn't necessarily be there if he wasn't so dramatic, such a dramatic right. person. So the main thing he's kind of known for is a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, and uh, he doesn't know how others see him. He thinks um, others think he's cool, but they are rolling their eyes a lot of time. Right. Um. So this makes for a lot of the awkwardness of the show, but also there's a positive in in that in that he is like a silver lining. He's bl- yeah, you could say a silver lining. Okay. Um, he's blissfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. Right. So it makes you think we could all use a little more, little more Mike Scott optimism, even bordering on delusion about sure other people. Just kind of assume like I'm awesome. Everyone likes me. Right. A healthy dose of that. Yeah. Um. He has a uh, constant desire to be liked, which makes him kind of a, a performer. So, you know, the negative side of that is he's selfish sometimes. Right. But the positive side of that is uh, he 
he deeply cares. Mm-hmm. You know, he deeply cares about people. Um, and uh, yeah, he's aware of like others around him because he wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next one is he's unintelligent. Well, wait, wait. I, I, I like that he deeply cares. Yeah. You know, um, uh, that it seems like he's not so uh, interpersonally restricted. Yeah. Constricted. Yeah. That he is totally cut off from and, and it makes from him, thinking about people besides himself. And it makes right him, like when he leaves, like like this, his last episode. Yeah. On the show, you know, he plays paintball with Dwight, and mm-hmm. you know, he goes around yep. and does all those cute things for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And it makes him a better boss because his whole thing is, you know, um, the office, uh, you know, work is where you form your deepest relationships, <laughs> which is just an idea that he has in his head. Yeah, yeah. And most other people are like, the office is where you work and then you go home, you know, you get home as soon as you can and that's where your deepest relationships are. Right. But he has, there's something to that. There is a wisdom in that mm-hmm. and everyone benefits. Um, the, so then he's he's very unintelligent. Uh, <laughs> this can be a, a pro because... He's um, more open to the flow of life. Right. Um, meaning he doesn't latch on to um, to some idea and uh, kind of, what am I trying to say, Inst- institute it unilaterally. Um, he he's kind of walking with through life with an empty mind mm, that ooh, can yeah. that can be filled with whatever is kind of um, necessary in the moment. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a Taoist like thing. There's a great book I like called The Tao of Pooh, and it talks about how Winnie the Pooh has this empty mind that enables him to be very present, and it's almost a form of wisdom yeah. uh, in itself. Yeah. Um, and, and you can actually, it's interesting to look at the office through the Winnie the Pooh lens um, where you, you find like Eeyore, like Toby is the Eeyore yeah. and uh, Oscar is the rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Oscar is very intelligent. He's a good foil to um, Michael. Uh, the, sh- the bad, the dark side of his intelligence is he's stuck up and uh-huh. he talks down to everyone, which right, right. Michael Scott doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um uh, he's Michael Scott is very immature, meaning he doesn't take responsibility for his own feelings, and he puts an an exaggerated importance on things that aren't very important, mm-hmm. such as coolness, etc. Um, so that you know that's the negative side of that. The positive side of his immaturity is he's very childlike, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he is full of wonder. Yeah. You know? um, and the last one, uh, oh well, this is just to say. You know, he, this all these things make him happy and endearing, and uh, and leave him alone, internet. Yeah, and then my my last thought though about this is it it does occur to me that a lot of these qualities, lack of self awareness, desire to be liked, self centered, you see in yourself, might no, might <laughs> uh, might not play. It's interesting to think about. It might not play as so endearing if it mm. was a female. Mm. Like if he was a woman. Oh, I think it would still play that endearing for me because I'm gender blind. Oh, nice. Well, um, just because we're less tolerant of those kinds of flaws. Yeah. You know, it, just kidding. There's a kind of brazenness to him, a kind of like you have to have to adjust to my personality. Right. 
you know, uh, his personality dominates, which mm-hmm. I don't know if, uh, anyway. Just throwing that last part in? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm going to do my other one quickly. My I dare you to do it quickly. I've, I will do that. My uh, favorite movie is Raising Arizona. Yep. Directed by the Coen brothers. Yep. Starring Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunt. Yep. And um, Nicolas Cage in that movie, he's a criminal. Correct. From a long line of criminals. And he's trying to reform. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the movie, it, um, during the majority of the movie, he's reformed, a reformed criminal. He's trying to be a father. The movie's about they kidnap uh, a baby because they want to be parents and they can't. We've seen it. Have kids. And, uh, but he's tempted to go back to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, he defeats this bounty hunter who's after him. Oh, yeah. And one, and uh, he, pull, uh, he pulls down, uh, or he looks at the bounty hunter's arm. And he has a, a tattoo of Woody the Woodpecker. Right. Which is the same tattoo that he has. So his name is H.I. McDonough. Yep. And uh, and so you could interpret that as this bounty hunter represented the uh, criminal impulses within him. Yeah. Specifically, like, um, a, a, like, dark, um, evil thought that may have been born in his heart, which is... I could sell this baby and get tons of money. Like the bounty hunter uh, was wasn't trying to sell the baby, but was trying to get money by getting the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, I think it's a good example when he defeats that guy. Mm-hmm. It's a good example of a kind of conversion event, which is which is a mm. qualitative leap. In our kind of in your spiritual moral development, mm. that's not incremental. Um, it's like a sudden rearrangement it's of a, your a psyche. A sudden or rearrangement of your of your psyche, where one part that was playing, uh, you know, a leading role, um, is uh, kicked out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, and there's a new um, transformed. Mm. self that emerges yeah that's interesting so the idea is that the film functions really well a lot of the plot of what's going on in the external world with the bounty hunter and all that stuff actually works really well as almost like a manifestation or representation of internal conflict within within high bingo yeah cool i like that yeah and some people want to even claim that that, that is an interpret that's like a like you're meant to get that interpretation or something that that it's some it's he's some kind of delusion or hallucination to be honest the bounty hunter I'm the only one that I've ever heard with Oh that really? Theory. Yeah, that's Whoa. a that's a Scott original. Yeah, that's a good Scott original. Um some people would say the matching tattoo is because they were in a a, a kind of white supremacist gang. Mm mm-hmm. mhm. Uh, on the inside, part of the same gang, yeah, 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 and so that's another interpretation. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't like that one. A more literal. <laughs> I, I like, like mine, right? Yeah, I like yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, because he has a dream, right, where he sees the bounty hunter in a dream, right, he, and he doesn't even know of his existence. It right. just comes to him in a dream. So, think about it. Think about it. 
Yeah, I like that. Um, hold on. And that segment's called Think About It. Think about it. Okay. <clears throat> I guess that's a flight of the concourse thing. Oh, yeah. Think about Think, think about it. Um, okay. So you did. Do your last one. Bring us out with a bang. Oh, it's going to be a big, fat bang. Yeah. Okay. I have three case studies for you. <laughs> How many fingers do I got here? This is a triple hitter? Three. Three. Well, I can three, confirm he has three fingers. Three up. case studies, but all towards the same end. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Patient one. We'll call him Mr. A. Mm-hmm. Mr. A was admitted to psychiatric care. After he scuffled with security at a federal building, he said that his life was like hmm. the Truman Show and that he had come to ask for asylum. He come to the federal building to ask for asylum. He had held this belief for five years, and although he lived with, with family, they were not aware of his delusions until several weeks prior to admission. He had only told a friend about it two weeks prior to... Uh, Prior to this incident, he believed that the 9-11 attacks were fabricated as part of this narrative. He had traveled from out of state in order to see if the World Trade Center had, in fact, been destroyed. If the towers were standing, he would have proof that he was on the show. On first presentation, he demanded to speak with, quote, the director, end quote. He said that since he had seen the Truman Show, he believed that all the individuals in his life were part of the Truman Show or part of the conspiracy. He also believed he had cameras in his eyes. Which mm. is not really from the movie, The Truman yeah, Show. Yeah, that's a little stretch. So, patient two, Mr. B. Mr. B was admitted after he told Psychiatric Outreach that he believed he was being taped continuously for national broadcast. As a result, he had formulated, quote, a plan to come to New York City and meet with an unknown woman at the top of the Statue of Liberty. He expected her to release him from the control of an extended network of individuals who are taping him for taping him continually and broadcasting the tapes nationally for viewers' enjoyment as part of a scenario similar to The Truman Show. The Truman Show. He said, I realized that I was and am the center, the focus of attention by millions and millions of people. My family and everyone I knew were the, were and are actors in a script, a charade, whose entire purpose is to make me the focus of the world's attention. Patient three, Mr. E. Mystery. Oh, why are they all men? I don't know. Maybe because Truman was a man. Maybe. Mr. E was hospitalized after he was found in a library after hours. He claimed that the Secret Service was following him in order to protect him because he had, quote, broken the code, end quote. He had been treated with... Uh, methylphenidate for an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and acknowledged using more than was prescribed at times. He had seen a psychiatrist in the month prior to admission, blah, blah, blah. He had no history of hospitalization. Mr. E described a scheme which he said was similar to the Truman Show. He believed that he was the master of the scheme, that it involved everyone in his life, including the hospital staff, and that all these people were actors he thought that he might be recorded while in the hospital. He believed that the news was fabricated and that the radio was recorded for him. He said he really wanted to, quote, get back to my real life, and he wanted to find out, quote, what's really going on in the outside world. He believed that the scheme would end on Christmas Day and that he would be released then. Have you ever thought you might be in a Truman show? No, because I'm not 
crazy. I tried to uh, like trick myself into believing that, but mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. Um, it sounded kind of fun. You tried to convince yourself that? Well, I tried to think, you know, I tried to think, what if? Oh, I have some I have some hints for you, you know, that maybe would help. But it sounds like those guys that you mentioned had, had a real rough time. Yeah, I think so. So, so that's really, really interesting to me. So they call this Truman Show delusion. Yeah. Um, and th- are those all post the release of the movie? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's like, why they like reference the movie, movie by name. Has uh, has given shape to right some kind of a their delusions psychological. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So that's what I thought was so interesting. Um. So what I yeah uh, when I read those case studies I thought, how did the Truman Show get into these people's people's delusions? Mm-hmm. Like, what would their delusions have been like if they'd never seen the Truman Show? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then also, like, um, like, are, like, history and pop culture, like, shaping people's delusions? Like, during the Civil War, did, like, Southern soldiers, like, see, like, Abraham Lincoln everywhere? Or, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. what, what, um, like, how... What's the relationship between like historical events and pop culture and like these delusional contents? You know, yeah, yeah. It's, I just thought it was a really interesting thing. I have a theory. You do? Yeah. Let me tell you my theory, and then I'll hear your theory. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> We're about to go down the rabbit hole on this one. Ooh. I have several. Uh, I have several great articles. So one's called "The Reality Show: Colon A New Phenomenological Variant of Psychosis." One's called Old Wine in New Bottles, question mark, Stability and Plasticity of the Contents of Schizophrenic Delusions. And one's called Psychosis as a State of Aberrant Salience, colon, a Framework Linking Biology, Phenomenology, and Pharmacology in Schizophrenia. Those are some good words. I know. So here's the theory. So first, um, we got to talk about our good friend dopamine. Oh, yeah. You know about dopamine, right? Oh, dopamine and I have been having a good time lately. Yeah. Save more. I've been taking Adderall. (laughs) Ta-da! Which increases dopamine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you know about uh, the role of dopamine in the Dopamine does a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. and it it, it acts in different parts of the brain. Right. If you uh, have low dopamine in one part of the brain... Uh, that's Parkinson's disease. Mm. If you have low dopamine in another part of the brain, one of the manifestations, there could be others though, is ADHD. Mm. One of the uh, one of the um, most notable, I guess, uh, like functions of dopamine seems to be uh, it's necessary for salience, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying. Um, when one thing sticks out as more important than other things. For good or ill. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, meaning you're either... Well, mostly... It, it stands I out as significant. I think, actually, it's mostly for, for good. It helps you to... Um, I think that's wrong, but... But yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, well, it's I'm motivational. Sure. It's motivational salience either way. Yeah, yeah. So when they give... Um, when they give rats... Uh, dopamine blockers uh-huh. so these are rats that they've trained to associate a tone with a shock yeah you're gonna hear a tone then you're gonna experience a shock and and 
teaching them how to respond. You hear a tone, you get a shock unless you press a button. Yeah. Then they give them a dopamine uh, blocker or, uh-huh. or, you know, reducer. I don't know. An- uh-huh. Antagonist. I don't yeah, know the yeah. term. And they play the tone and the rat doesn't do anything anymore. Uh, it inhibits their ability to... It inhibits the salience of the tone. To, like, see what's going to be harmful for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With humans, dopamine uh, issues are really trippy. Yeah. Because it messes with your mo- with motivation, which, I'm like, it's very... It messes with your feelings about things. Right. You know? Right, right. Yeah, but it's this subtle, phenomenological element, yeah. which is, like significance or salience or import yeah you know when i don't take my adderall i kind of just sit around in a fog of Mm. like i wonder what i should do Mm -hmm. and it's hard to like figure out what to do so here's an analogy what if um the world is a is a page in a book Mm -hmm. And salience, when something in the world is salient to you, it's highlighted. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's, a, it's a section of the book that's highlighted. Yeah. So you go to a restaurant, and what's salient to you, what stands out, what draws your attention is the menu and the food. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. like your mind, the, the things in your environment are, are contextually appropriately salient. Your yeah. you your your attention is drawn to the contextually appropriate elements of the environment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um Pretty so cool. that you can get your food and all that kind of stuff. But what you're saying is would maybe be there's not any highlighting on the page or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's um what it feels like. And so it's hard to kind of know what to think about or do or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Like when I started taking Adderall, like um, it just became more clear, like, what I should do. Mm. And it became more just, like, easier to do it, like, more motivation. Right, right. Yeah. So I have a dear friend who um, talks about her experience with ADD as, like, she's packing to go on a trip. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's all these things. Get the toothbrush, pack your pack your clothes, you know, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's like a million small tasks to do. And she almost just like stands like uh, frozen mm-hmm. amidst all the possibilities. Like like the guy who like has has a plate full of food but can't decide which one to do first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, that's how she describes it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. So. Okay. Good. But what does that have to do with the Truman Show? So <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. So this article, which is amazing, huh? psychosis as a state of aberrant salience, it has a, it has a section, a subsection of the article called "Dopamine as the quote wind of the psychotic fire." Uh-huh. Isn't oh, that good? Yeah. Psychosis is a fire, and 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 dopamine is the wind that like, that like whips it up into a frenzy. Yeah. A yeah. fire frenzy. So it's almost like if the the context, as you as you said is uh, in, in in kind of a different world, a delusional world, then increasing the dopamine will increase the salience of things in a in a context that has is detached from reality. Close. Okay. So here's here's the explanation. So um so first I, I I have some quotes and but I think they're good. Yeah. So um uh with uh schizophrenia mm-hmm. and I'm presuming with other psychotic disorders they uh, they have found that it's associated with aberrant uh, increases in dopamine activity in the brain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Too much dopamine. 
mm-hmm. you know, I mean, who, you know, too much dopamine or an unexpected amount in the wrong place. I don't know exactly the details, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but like too much. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, it says this n- this neurochemical aberration usurps the normal process of contextually di- driven salience attribution. So usually our. Uh, this our experience of salience in the environment is contextually appropriate. When mm-hmm. we go to the restaurant and the things that are salient to us in the restaurant, the the waiter coming by to get us our food, yeah, you know, uh, I, my food tastes weird, and I notice the salt, like all that kind of stuff is the stuff that shows up as as um as salient, you know, yeah. Um, but you know, but with this aberration, it usurps that normal process and leads to aberrant assignment of salience to external objects and internal representations. Thus, um, dopamine, which under normal conditions is a mediator of these contextually relevant saliences, in psychotic states becomes a creator of uh, a creator of abnormal saliences. Mm-hmm. It's almost like. If if the, if your world is a page of text, it's like it's highlighted at random. Uh-huh. It's highlighted at random. Yeah, the yeah. things that show up for you as salient uh-huh. are are not contextually appropriate. Yeah. So yeah. they have this really interesting um, description of people in the prodromal phase. So uh-huh. that's pre full blown schizophrenia. Yeah. When things are just starting to get kind of weird, they have these descriptions of people that say, "I developed a greater awareness of my." Uh, a greater awareness, my senses were sharpened, I became fascinated by little insignificant things around me. Mm-hmm. S- or someone else said, sights and sounds possessed a keenness that I had never experienced before. Someone said, it's as if parts of my brain awoke which had been dormant. Someone said, my senses seemed alive. Things seemed clear cut. I noticed things I had never noticed before. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the article says most patients also report that something in the world around them is changing, mm-hmm. leaving them somewhat confused and looking for an explanation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, someone else says, um, uh, I felt there was some overwhelming significance in the way that things were changing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. everything's subtly different, but I feel like it means something, yeah. you know? Uh, someone said, "I feel like I felt like I was putting a pu- uh, a piece of the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. You know that I was finally kind of figuring it out." So, here's the here's the explanation. Yeah, the idea is um, <clears throat> that things start to subtly change. Mm-hmm. You have abnormal levels of dopamine in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, your the the page of your life is highlighted in random spots. Yeah. And you need to find a way to make sense of that. Yeah. And so this article concludes by saying, delusions in this framework are a top-down cognitive explanation that the individual imposes on the experiences of aberrant salience in an effort to make sense of them. Mm. And then, since delusions are constructed... So punchline, please. Mm-hmm. Or not punchline, drum roll. Since delusions are constructed by the individual, they are imbued with the psychodynamic themes relevant to the individual and are embedded in the cultural context of the individual. So the the um, narratives, the stories, the technologies that you can use to ma- that you use to make sense of the weird way that things are changing yeah. comes from your culture. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and um. 
I was just thinking the example I thought of was like, what if I was like sitting in this room and then like I saw a book just like float across the room like in Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. you know, in the library at the beginning, like yeah. the books are flying across. Which freaked um, me out as a kid. I know. And if I didn't just immediately say, oh, I've gone insane, you know, yeah. <laughs> I would need to find a way to make sense of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would have to jump to kind of whatever. You could even say that trying to make sense of that is a reasonable thing. Totally endeavor. reasonable thing yeah. to do, yeah. And I would have to I would have to try and make sense of that in the I'm trying to even think what I would think, you know? Yeah. I guess I have heard of like some kind of like magnetic technology that makes things like hover or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would just try and like maybe someone, you know what I'm saying? And, and but perhaps if you're... you could have the presence of mind for a while to mm -hmm. go to people and say I think I'm losing my mind, etc. Mm -hmm. But it, but perhaps there, the brain can only kind of doubt its its perceptions for so long. But also, it's a frog in a pot, you know? Because yeah. it's not, it's just things start to subtly yeah. feel, you know? And also, I just think your ability to make sense of your world, you know, is also sliding at the same time. Yeah. So you're not, like, just jumping to the most logical conclusion that I'm going insane. Yeah. You're, you know, because your, your, your conclusion jump to her part of the brain is also not doing that well you know yeah so um here's how you could start to believe that you're in the truman show mm -hmm. um you um kind of out of nowhere you just start everything just feels subtly off mm -hmm. like it just doesn't feel right yeah you know Th this morning I was in the living room and I overheard my mother mm -hmm. um, talking to someone on the phone in the, in another part of the house. Right, and I heard her say my name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right, you know. Right. If I had dopamine funkiness going on, mm -hmm. that might have struck me as more salient. Right. Than it did. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But it's also subtle things like why is the salt shaker there it's kind of, isn't it weird that it's like right. right on the middle between those two tables in the restaurant you know the tables pushed together yeah it's like right in the middle of the crack and like as if it that's was... so weird what does that mean you know so yeah. you start to have this subtle sense you know and your um your your feeling of being at home in your relationships the feeling that you have with your wife that like your relationship with your wife has always felt like putting on a comfy pair of shoes, you mm -hmm. know, you just feel at home around her. Yeah. All of a sudden, it, that that sense that you have just starts to fade, you yeah. know, and, and there's something kind of, it just feels weird. It feels kind of sinister, mm -hmm. you know. You just have the feeling. So And now you have to make sense of that, yeah. right? Yeah. How would you make you sense of that? You have to connect the salt shaker with the overhearing someone say your name with the sense of... Uh, with the sense, with the weird sense that you have that something is off in yeah. your... Your wife doesn't feel like the same person that she did. Yeah. Your 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 family members, the people you meet at the store seem kind of weird. Yeah. You have to kind of make sense of that, you know? And then you watch The Truman Show. Yeah. And um, it provides you the perfect explanation Mm -hmm. For why it doesn't, it just it feels like a little off, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and the, oh man, I have, let's see. There's this great guy. He's German, I'm assuming. His name is Klosterkotter. Klosterkotter. I didn't. Mm -hmm. 
when I said that, it sounded like I was speaking Vulcan or or like uh, Klingon. Klingon, yeah. yeah. So he talks about this in terms of three phases: the phase of irritation, mm-hmm. where there's these kind of delusional moods, cognitive disturbances, this phase of externalization. Mm-hmm. which is the projection of the origin of these symptoms into the outer world. It's yeah. the attempt to attribute these symptoms to something in the outer world. And then the phase of concretization, which is the fusion of these basic psychotic symptoms with with this narrative that you have about, about what they mean. Yeah. So all of a sudden, this cognitive explanation you have about why things are going weird is fused with the things, the, the feelings you have about things being weird and then all of a sudden you're not just experiencing a weird thing where your wife just feels kind of weird you are experience her experiencing her as an actor yeah yeah the the, the just... interpretation of the oddness yeah. is now part of the oddness it becomes it, it they become fused affective then it's cognitive and then it's fusative right right so and i guess i guess um <laughs> When I was thinking about this, it just seemed more reasonable than I right <laughs> after going through That's this. It I just seemed more say. reasonable. It, it seems more relatable. Like it's not like the birds in uh, whoever that guy is backyard. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, Bloiler, Bloiler. Yeah, it's not like um, they're you know. I think it's Bloiler, some alien or some other species. Yeah, it's we have those senses of something's right. off. For a reason. Right. You know, and it's just when those feelings go off the rails, then, and I really like, I really like this idea, um, when those feelings go off the rails, then we have to make sense of that. Right. Right. And it made me think of, um, how did Truman figure it out? How did Truman figure it out? Ah, yeah. You know? He just had a feeling like this is, something is weird about this. So if it was true... Right. If it was really happening, exactly. then those feelings would work. Right. And how did he get out of it? He trusted his gut. Yeah. You know? yeah <laughs> and yeah. that's how he got out of it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I have I have two um side notes and then I have a and then I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. So one side note is um just just a side note on, on the interesting implications of this for treatment. Yeah. So this article um about uh, aberrant salience he points out that antipsychotic drugs um, are dopamine antagonists. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. yeah. so they decrease the dopamine levels. They they put a damper on the wind of the psychotic fire, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> and um, that's why people don't like them very much because yeah. it just flattens you out. Yeah. You know, it flattens you out. Like just nothing is that salient. That's why, like, um, medication. What what's the word? Adherence. You know, yeah, people yeah. staying on their meds is like 20% in some cases, uh, you know, in some areas. Yeah. Um, but he says, interestingly, what you what you give people these antipsychotic drugs, and all of a sudden, the they say that they're, these beliefs they have just don't bother them as much anymore. Yeah. They still believe it, but it just doesn't bother them anymore. Yeah. So they say there's two, there's kind of two parts to treatment one is to deal with the aberrant salience thing that comes from the abnormal dopamine levels but the second one is once you have that then you really just need to reason with them yeah like like once you need to help them reinterpret what's going on in their yeah. life yeah. so this guy says um the resolution of symptoms is a dynamic process antipsychotics lessen the salience of the concerns and then the patient works through her symptoms towards a psychological resolution 
Symptom resolution may this I love this line. Symptom resolution may have much in common with the mechanisms whereby all humans give up on cherished beliefs or frightening dreads, and it may involve a process of extinction. Blah blah blah. And uh, extinction, encapsulation, and belief transformation—fundamentally psychological concepts. So mm -hmm. it's the same. Once you get the psychotic fire under control, yeah. it's the same process by which you get someone, by which you would get someone to stop believing that they will never find love. Yeah, their parents never cared about them. You know, any like pathological beliefs that are causing harm to someone. Sure, sure. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd be interested to see. The research on that. Yeah. You know? Sure. To see if that actually works. Yeah, sure. You know? Okay, second second f uh, footnote. Maybe, I guess this would be an end note because we're Well, let me say, well, I also have a theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, But first let me say, like, that that description of treatment, it seems like with the Truman Show um, uh, delusion uh, specifically, right. it would be really hard. Or right. it could potentially be really hard because you'd have perhaps have this feeling like oh this person is in on it and they're just trying to brainwash me you know i guess that would be for any kind of but that's why you need that's why you need the antipsychotics right right because it takes the edge off of the delusional belief they say it doesn't bother them as much anymore sure yeah so my uh theory um it, or just thought is that you know there there is a uh, part of our psyche and uh, um that is normal in an early stage of our development, which is an egocentric. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, like an, uh, we go through a, a phase of egocentrism where for young children, um, they believe that the whole world kind of revolves around them. Revolves around them. And uh, um, they, uh, everything that happens, they kind of attribute to themselves, like right. they're causing it to happen. Right, right. That's why um, when kids are abused, they usually don't um, hate their parents for it. Mm -hmm. They they think, well, obviously my parents can't. There, it's not something wrong with my parents. It's something about me that's making them do that. Right. And uh, anyway. Um, you can see how that w could lead to a Truman Show type thing. Mm. So my theory is that that's a part of the human psyche, and yeah. that's why it's relatable to all, to most people. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I think both, I think the film and the that uh, form, you know, that delusion, delu that delusion, yeah. they both come from the same place, which is right. why it equally resonates with audiences mm -hmm. and it resonates with yeah. schizophrenia. Yeah, interesting. And that actually ties into my second footnote, which is that even though um, like themes from history or pop culture or culture in general like pop up in delusions, um, researchers actually find that the major themes of delusions are actually pretty stable across time. Yeah. So uh, one of the articles that I read listed seven of them. One is persecution. Two is grandiosity. Those are like the big mama jamas. Yeah. That are like don't seem to vary that much with across time. Like yeah. people were those were the top two delusions in the 1700s, and they're the top two delusions today. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, then uh, number three, religious delusions like messianic delusions or delusions uh, that I'm an angel or something like that. Guilt delusions, either earthly guilt delusions like 
I'm responsible for that hurricane across the globe or like supernat they call them supernatural or ontological. Like I am the embodiment of Satan and therefore I am I am guilty and worthy of eternal scorn from everyone, mm-hmm. you know, which is yeah. fascinating. Um hypochondria, jealousy, like delusional jealousy, mm-hmm. and and love, meaning uh, it's it's kind of a variant of of grandiosity in the sense that I think everyone loves me or I think someone's in love with me or something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. those, those themes, um, are pretty invariant. And so yeah. you could see how the Truman show ties into a couple of those persecution and grandiosity mm-hmm. and love potentially. Cause I think the audiences love me everywhere yeah. in the world. Everyone's watching me adoringly, you yeah. know? Yeah. So the idea is that, um, those are the major keys yeah. you know of of delusion across time and then the the minor differences are just kind of differences in melody but not but they still are in the same key i don't yeah, know yeah. that's like the yeah image. and so you could say a movie like uh the truman show doesn't cause delusions but right. rather the truman show and those delusions have uh, have the the same cause mm-hmm. or a similar cause, mm. which is some ar- archetypal thing. In That's the your point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, my point is just, it's uh, just something like, um, just something like, well, just that that the the forms of delusions seem to be relatively stable across time. Like yeah. the same forms exist everywhere and then they just get sketched in by different content during different periods of time. Yeah. And I guess the content resonates with the form. Yeah. Which is why you can use it, use the, that particular explanation to explain what the heck is going on in your life. Yeah. So last question, what aspects of pop culture that have coming, that have come out recently, do you think are going to be incorporated into schizophrenic delusions in the future anything that's come out recently that you feel like would get picked up by uh we might we might be seeing in the state hospital anytime soon uh i don't know what do you think um i only had one yeah which was this kind of altered carbon it's a uh you haven't seen it it's a uh, sci-fi show on Netflix just involving um, really easy uh, um, consciousness transfer between like clone bodies uh-huh. so you know the guy dies and they keep bringing him back oh, in different yeah, clone yeah. bodies you know yeah. I could see that kind of oh yeah popping up um, yeah although I guess that doesn't that particular delusion doesn't really resonate with any of these um, with any of these symptoms with any of those themes, right? It's not persecution. It's not grandiosity. Just that, that I'm in be, a different body. It, well, it would be more of a de uh, depersonalization, right? Type right, right. Delusion. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of uh, folks but out. Depersonalization is uh, perhaps different from a delusion. Right. Right. Because it's a feeling. Anyway, I don't know. It can turn into a delusion, though. Yeah. I mean, there are people who think that their body has been switched out. Right. Yeah. Right, that is a delusion. Oh, it is. Common oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess the you know altered carbon. Well, there you or go. I think more, more commonly is like their spouse's uh, body has been switched out for a clone. Yes, that's a different thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I, I don't know. I can't think of any other. Well, let's, let's kick it off to our buddies over here on the internet. Oh, what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Um, why don't you reach out to us and let us know? We are on Facebook, Pop Psych, Pop Psychology Podcast. Whew, took me a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Twitter at Pop Psych Pod, although we never post anything or tweeted anyone. Yeah. And then we're also, uh, you can email us directly, poppsychpod at gmail.com. So if you want to be our intern our, <laughs> and handle our Twitter account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot us First person that says they want to gets to. Yeah. We trust you. So let us know what pop culture content you think might show up in delusions in the coming years. Um, that's first one. Second one, let us know if there's any uh, films or uh, books or whatever, comics or whatever that you think have fascinating psychological um, <clears throat> content that you wish you think we should cover. Um, let us know if you think that Scott's wrong about Michael Scott or Ross Geller. Um, also, rate and review the show on, pod- on Apple Podcasts. Just let us know that you're out there and that you love us. Yeah. And uh, wash your hands. so much to ask. Yeah. Wash your hands. Stay safe. We'll try and do a lot more of these because we're locked in a house together. And, um, yeah, we love you. See ya. Love you.